never be afraid to ask. People are more willing than you recognize to offer their time, to offer feedback, to offer a connection. And often those connections, that advice, that feedback can be really instrumental, can be really life-changing. You've been told no before. You might be a little embarrassed, but you'll get up, you'll be fine, you'll go about your life, and you'll ask someone else something else the next day. The cycle continues. Welcome, everybody, to episode 27 of the Paul and Pals podcast. I'm your host, Ponyboy Paul, and Paul and Pals is a podcast where I interview my creative pals who are creating the life that they want to live. My goal is to learn how and why they actually create their content in order to inspire others, but mostly myself, to start and or continue creating their own content. And on this episode, I have a creative conversation with my pal, Kinsey Grant. She is the co-founder and host of Thinking is Cool, which is a podcast and newsletter dedicated to answering, what if we all just stopped to think a little harder? And in this episode, we cover a wider range of topics, such as the importance of owning your own IP, the third thought, that is T-H-O-U-G-H-T. And as you heard in the first clip, why you shouldn't be afraid to ask. If you guys are watching this on YouTube, I do want to give you a heads up that there were some technical difficulties with my camera, so it's kind of going in and out. Um, but it's fine. I know you guys probably want to see Kenzie more than me anyway, but I'm not I'm not mad or anything. I'm not jealous. It's just, it's just, just how things are, I guess. Um, yeah. But anyway, without any further ado, Let's get creative. Hey, what up, Kinsey? How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you today? I'm doing great. That wasn't fake. They don't know that we were just talking before we went recording. So I think I think we're good. But <laughs> uh, welcome to the Paul and Pals podcast. Um, I'm glad you're here because I was thinking about, you know, I always do like a how we met section, right? And... This is actually the first time that we've actually ta- we've actually emailed each other more than talked, which is which is yes. like it's the new way of I, meeting that's, people. Yeah, I mean that's how you make friends in 2020 and 2021, I guess. I have so many people like that who I'm just now starting to meet in person too, yeah. and I feel so strange. It's like you've read their Wikipedia or something, yeah. <laughs> and you it's don't want to cite something that was from your internet <laughs> friendship. Do you like? Do you still like? introduce yourself do you say hey i'm kids or is it kind of like y'all just hug at this point like what's the what's the I'm process a, for i'm that? a big believer in great to see you because if mm. you say great to see you that could be great to see you for the first time or great to see you i've met you before uh, i oh, feel like okay. that's a, a good catch-all i'm i'm usually go with that um, i actually like but that it's, a- it's tough like there I, there are people so many people too who i've been going back and forth with on the internet and then you meet them in a crowded room and all of a sudden you can't remember that you've ever talked to anybody <laughs> before <laughs> No, the worst is when you don't know their real name. You're like, hey. Hey. Uh, and then it's crypto. your Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> hey, crypto god daddy. Like, wait, what? But yeah. no, so just going back to how we met, you know, your co-founder, you know, good friend, Josh Kaplan. I actually interviewed him for one of my early episodes of Paul and Pals. I'm a big fan of him because, you know, he was believing me early on. And I reached out to him like, yo, like, I'm really liking what Kinsey's doing. I think she'd be on for an interview. And he's like, yeah, of course. And he connected us. So that's how we're here. And I'm really grateful for that. Yeah, um, I'm super glad to be here, too. I'm I'm always down for an interview. I feel like it's a, a skill that everybody needs to hone at some point yeah. or another. And I'm so used to interviewing other people every now and then. It's really nice to get interviewed, to be I the know, one right? answering questions. When the interviewer interviews the interviewer. And yeah. that's true because when I was doing my prep, I just typed Kinsey Grant in Spotify. And then I went to podcast. And you have a ton of interviews. I was like, dang, should I even do this interview anymore? But the the funniest thing that I learned during this prep was there was, I always send all my guests like an interview outline just to kind of get them ready. 
And sometimes I'll include questions. And I saw, I heard this interview. You were like, yeah, I don't like to send my interviewees questions. And I'm like, F. She's probably going to think I'm a freaking amateur, man. No, no, not at all. I, so I send, I, I don't anymore, but when I, in my pre- previous life, mm-hmm. I was big on sending outlines. Mm-hmm. I don't want to send every question. And I'm sure you, d- you didn't send every question, you know, but I don't no, want to, no. I don't want to give away all of my secrets before I get into yeah. a conversation with someone, especially if they're mm-hmm. a super powerful person. I would, I love the feeling of surprising someone with a question that they didn't see coming. It's unbeatable. Yeah. It's such a high. Um, so that was always my, my tactic when I was sending yeah. people outlines, give them Got just you. a little, so they feel comfortable, yeah. but not right? too much. That's exactly what I did. I have a ton yeah. of the, you know, the don't send these questions. But now, nah, um, one thing I want to get into with your interview, you know, you've been doing a lot of interviews for Thinking It's Cool and also, you know, Business Casual. But I'm kind of curious before that, did you always want to be this person known for their brand and interviewing and just having all this dope content out? Like, what was kind of your initial wants in life, if you will? Yeah, I would call myself a reluctant content creator. I have always wanted to be a journalist since I was a child. I wanted to be a reporter. Uh, That has been my dream since I was maybe eight or nine years old, uh, was always to be a a journalist. And what exact form that took, I was never totally sure. Uh, In my early years of getting into it, uh, I wanted to work for a newspaper. And then it became pretty obvious that working for a newspaper probably was not going to (laughs) be my my dream career. (laughs) Uh, And then I wanted to go into broadcast. And I studied broadcast in college uh, and spent a ton of time in front of the camera and behind the camera producing, reporting. Um, And then I started working for Morning Brew a couple of years after graduation and got really into email. And then I got really into podcasting. And now I'm doing podcasting but also curating this brand and doing yeah. a lot of social stuff. Um, so it's always been that this, this need to ask people questions, this inherent curiosity, this um, real drive to gather information, synthesize information, and share it with people has always been core to what I want to do. Mm-hmm. I think that the lines are blurring, though, between a more traditional idea of a journalist and what we would today call a content creator. So I think I'm kind of both, but uh, yeah. it just depends on the day. Like today I was making TikToks, but also writing scripts and doing interviews. You, know, you. you can't just be one thing anymore. Yeah, I think it's a it's a it's a weird line, but I, I think what I've realized from trying to interview more content creators is that like I think the main goal of people want to do is get their voice out there. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, whatever medium per- helps you do that the best, whether it's a blog, newsletter. Uh so for you like kind of going back to your childhood, have you always felt like your voice was just you you wanted people to hear you and don't be humble. I want you to answer that oh, truthfully. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I was having a conversation about this with my boyfriend recently. Okay. Um, like I have kind of always envisioned myself being someone who is known. Like it doesn't it doesn't scare me to be known. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, I kind of like it. I think that everybody has a really interesting story, and especially in my experience as a journalist, I've gotten to hear a lot of really cool stories. And a lot of people have inspired me in ways that they probably had no idea that they were inspiring me. And so I'm I'm okay with that. You know, if what I do is inspirational to someone, I love that. That sounds great. It's kind of an added benefit of the job. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't say that I went into journalism. I definitely didn't go into journalism to make money. <laughs> yeah. But I, I did go in hoping that my work would be impactful in some way. And I think part and parcel of having an impact is being somebody who is is known. Um, and that was always just in the cards for me. I don't know. Yeah. I don't really know how to describe it. Because I've talked with my sister about this before, too. She has never had these thoughts. And they've mm. always just been part of who I am. Maybe it was because I did a lot of acting classes and dance and theater. Like, I was always in front of people as a child. And I loved yeah. it. 
that I just got really used to it and figured this was something I could make into a career. Yeah, no, I think, and one of the reasons I said, you know, don't be humble, not that it's narcissistic or egotistical. I think uh, just that that's like the first, I would say, crutch a lot of content creators kind of have to overcome because it's like, uh, yeah, I think I'm creative, but they probably won't like it. When I think you have yeah. to first become like, okay, I'm creative. Let me put my stuff out there. And then whoever likes it, likes it. You know what I'm saying? So I think for you, I right. noticed that especially when there was a, if we were to go through your tweet history, right? I feel like there was a slight change the moment you kind of lost the morning brew, the morning brew branding. You're kind of like, yo, I'm Kenzie fucking Grant. <laughs> this is how I talk. So uh, I wanted to know, kind of going from morning brew to now, what did you feel did you kind of feel constricted when you were first being the host of that um, podcast? Yeah. I mean, I think that I'm glad that you picked up on this, that maybe it's a little unhinged, whatever. I feel like I've never been more myself on the internet, which is such an incredible feeling to me. Yeah. Uh, and I will say that I worked for a startup that was, when I joined, a bunch of dudes, right? Like, it, I, it was not like they were tamping down on anything that I wanted to put on the internet, of yeah. course. <laughs> but when you work for another company you do have to keep that in mind. You know, there were certain expectations about what my brand was and what the show's brand was that I was hosting, what Business Casual's brand was. And in every meeting that we would have about the branding, it was always Business Casual is Kinsey and Kinsey is Business Casual, which I loved. I loved mm. that I was inextricable from the show that I hosted. That was really important to me. But that also did impact the way that I operated on the internet. And just like even in, in interviews too, you know, I had more responsibilities in terms of meeting expectations than I do now as a, an independent creator. I can basically say whatever I want. The only editor is me. Yeah. <laughs> and then our, you know, we, we talk about these things with our, our partners and sponsors and things, but typically they don't care. But yeah. when I was working for Morning Brew, um, you know, like, no, they didn't say that I couldn't say anything. Um, but the expectation and, and also that I kind of placed on myself too. I wanted to occupy a certain role as their podcast host, as kind of the face of the brand in a lot of ways um, that I, I put on myself and I was happy to do it. Uh, but when I did quit, it was really freeing to say, say like, for the first time, I could do whatever I wanted. Uh, and also, I came from a more traditional journalism background before I worked at Morning Brew, where having an opinion and posting anything online was totally frowned upon. You know, that was that was against the standards of traditional quote unquote journalism, which yeah. I think today there's a little bit more room for interpretation. People who work as journalists or who identify as reporters can also be content creators. They can also tweet whatever they want. They can also make funny jokes and not be, um, you know, villainized for it or, or demonized for it. People still take me seriously, even though I tweet about like living in New York and dating and yeah. food and whatever. And I think that's just that's just life. And it, it's funny because you, you mentioned how like we used to be very strict with social media and where we work. And I used to have this is like the Twitter account that I use now is my new Twitter account. I used to have a Twitter account until like I would think I was about to go to I think, yeah, I was in college about to graduate. So I was getting ready for, you know, job searching. And I deleted my previous account because I was scared of like, yo, like cause everybody was telling you like, yo, they're going to check your stuff. You might not make, get a yeah. job. And I didn't even have anything crazy, but I get mad when I think about that because I had some jokes on. I had some quality tweets that they're just gone now. And I did the same exact thing. <laughs> I started. I started from scratch. Yeah, okay. I mean, and and this, exactly the same. It was just. It was like 
silly jokes about things my mom said, right? Like yeah. I was 15 years old and none of it was bad. I, I would stand by it, but I didn't, yeah. I wanted to be taken seriously. Exactly. The only way to be taken seriously is to, to not have a personality online or exactly. at all. Which is funny now because I feel like now companies are trying to find that one employee to handle their social media and tweet like yourself. So it's like, yeah. it's a, it's a weird uh, times, but going back to getting ready for the real world, take us through, you know, post-college, like what, what was kind of your mindset and then kind of lead us into how you kind of started work with Morning Brew. So I had two options when I was getting ready to graduate college. Uh, I, like I said before, had worked a lot in broadcast in college. That was sort of my specialty. I was a business journalism major, but broadcast was really my focus. Mm-hmm. My two options were either focus on broadcast or focus on business. So the broadcast option was to move to Tupelo, Mississippi and be a weekend news anchor in Tupelo, Mississippi, um, a town many people have probably never heard of yeah. and I would not fault them for having never heard of it, uh, or to move to New York and work for The Street, which was at the time Jim Cramer's company. So the obvious choice for me was to move to New York to pursue that dream and to, to say to myself, I'll get on screen somehow. I'm not worried about that. Right now, I want to focus on cutting my teeth, on making mistakes, on figuring out how the market works, because I knew, I recognized in college, I was covering college stories. You know, it was a fake earnings report. It was an enterprise story about a snowstorm in my college town. I knew that there was a lot that I didn't know, especially in covering business. I needed to get out there. I needed to work in an office that was literally across the street from the New York Stock Exchange. So that's what I did. And I'm I'm glad that I did it. Was it a perfect first job? Not by any means, but was it a good first job to make mistakes and to learn. Absolutely. I was really happy with that. Uh, so I stayed at the street for about a year covering so much, like breaking news and crypto and cannabis and some tech stuff. I was just like across the board. Um, what they, didn't they you like about everything. it? Um, mostly the, the expectations in terms of output. Um, I felt sometimes that I was kind of shouting into the void and I was also writing for an audience that was very much not me. So it was a lot of like institutional people, a lot of family offices, um, a lot of frankly old white dudes. And I just didn't feel like we had anything in common. Um, I remember (laughs) the last story that, that I did at the street before I left was about, um, hard seltzer. So this was the summer of 2018. It was Mm. right when these like seltzer wars were kind of cropping up. Yeah, and I was so excited about this story. I'm so amped on it. This is what young people care about. Let's cover it. Let's let's get into the conversation. Let's insert ourselves. And everybody was lukewarm at best <laughs> on the story. And I was so vindicated in my decision to leave. But um, mm-hmm. you know, it was it was just a different audience and one that I wasn't super interested in writing for forever. And I also didn't feel very creatively fulfilled. Um, and part of that is is breaking news is a real slog. Like it's really really hard to be a breaking news reporter. You have no idea what you're going to cover day to day. Uh, and typically the, the time constraints are really tough. Um, you don't get to exercise a lot of creative control over what you're doing. And you feel like you're constantly trying to beat a game that's unbeatable. Like I didn't have the resources to be better than a Bloomberg terminal. Yeah. Uh, and it was difficult to come to, to come to grips with that. Uh, so when I was making the decision to leave, I was looking for something that would allow me to be more creative, to express myself a little bit more, and also just to speak to young people. Uh, and luckily, it kind of happened upon Morning Brew. Uh, mm-hmm. I had been a subscriber in in college and like on and off kind of for uh, the, the previous years before yeah. I started. But uh, I got sent a cold outreach message on LinkedIn about you know looking for writers. They needed people to write the newsletter. And within a couple of weeks, I had my first day. That's crazy. And you were employee number five. So yeah. being that you're employee number five, and I saw that recently, everybody probably knows this, but business 
they they were bought for about seventy five million, just a small amount, nothing special. Did you pocket uh change. <laughs> pocket change, exactly. Did you benefit from any of this early equity? Oh, what a complicated question to answer. Is there an NDA? Am I am I gonna get a No, suit? there's there's no NDA. But if there oh, were, yeah. I would break it for you, Paul. No, I uh I, I think benefit can be um defined in a couple of ways. I would say that I definitely did benefit in terms of learning so, so much over the period of growth that led to Business Insider wanting to buy Morning Brew in the first place or to buy a majority stake in Morning Brew in the first place. Uh, to watch a company go from you know being employee five to at the time having several dozen employees. And by several dozen, I mean like I think it was at 70 something when that deal happened. Today, it's above 100. Um, the growth was really incredible to watch. And to be able to play an instrumental role in that was incredibly beneficial for me um, uh, not only in having responsibility, which feels really cool when you start a job at 23 and within a couple of years, this company is being sold for a, a not so small sum. Um, <laughs> yeah. That was incredible. And, and I was super grateful for that. That will always be a lesson for me, um, you know, that, that these things happen and I got to see it from the inside, which was really incredible. Uh, and especially at a young age, it's incredible to get that startup experience. I would recommend anybody who can take the risk, who can stomach the risk of working for a young startup, tries it at least once because I learned so much. Uh, and you know, practical things like how to do growth, how to do tech, how to do you know WordPress, like a, a million things that have been useful, but also the the more impractical things about working with teams and understanding the ways that people approach problems um, because everybody really had no option but to solve the problems put in front of them, even if it wasn't in your job description. So in that way, Definitely did benefit in the more uh, obvious way. I didn't had I had a small sliver of equity um, in the company, um, but it was a bootstrap company, and the two founders did co-founders did did quite well from yeah. that deal. Um, and I'm not going to say that I didn't get anything. I got mm -hmm. a, a little bit, yeah. um, but I would say not as much as you would expect gotcha. uh, the early employees to okay. get. So. That was was one of the lessons, you know, that the news of that deal broke and I had a lot of friends texting me saying, you're going to take me out to drinks. And I was like, <laughs> oh, contraire. <laughs> Funny. I would think yeah. the same thing. But um, so you never know how these companies are structured on the inside. Exactly. Um, it might surprise you. Yeah. See, my creative director is listening to this like, yeah, bro, we got to make sure we get a contract. You know what I'm saying? I want this much equity. Yeah, yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, like, especially things in the media space, they can take off in an instant. And, mm -hmm. uh, it, you know, in, in the case of Morning Brew, it worked really well. Um, but, you know, it, it you just never know what that exactly. takeoff yeah. is going to look like. Mm -hmm. And the main reason I asked wasn't just to get some juicy details, which it was. <laughs> it was because uh, I, I'm more curious about when you wanted to make that transition to start your show media i don't know i know you hear the word franchise but basically that's what it, i think is going to be the empire <laughs> exactly like what was the kind of confident backing that you had to really just yeah. quit this amazing job that you enjoyed obviously but to start your own thing what was that confidence coming from well, in, in part, definitely the money. You know, I, I knew that I could go, not forever, but I could go a couple of weeks without a paycheck and I would be okay. And I think it's really important to emphasize that, especially for people who feel the pressure of seeing people your age or younger starting businesses. 
you never know what their situation is. Um, and oftentimes we, we hear these stories of people picking themselves up by their bootstraps and like living the American dream. Yeah. Um, but it's a lot easier to live the American dream when you have a little bit of money in your back pocket for exactly. a rainy day. So that's important to, to know. But also the confidence of having done it before, in all honesty, that was the biggest part of, of this. And, and I had thought about doing this well before the deal was announced that Warning Brew was being bought. Um, I'd had conversations with Josh about this. We'd considered the possibility. Um, mm. And it was, it was mostly because we just knew that we could do it. Uh, which sounds kind of cocky, but it it was it was the conversation. We had built newsletters together at Morning Brew. Josh had done an incredible job as project management and ops and biz dev, uh, and I was always the the content side of things. I would help to create content strategy. I was the editor for a lot of these industry specific newsletters that Morning Brew mm. launched for a long time before they built out those teams. And we knew how to work together, and we knew how to build products that were built to last. And we also, of course, built business casual together. Uh, I remember the first day that I even heard about the potential of Morning Brew launching a podcast, it was a meeting with me, the co-founders, and Josh. And they essentially said, we're going to give you to the reins. Go figure out how to build a podcast. And we did. And we built into something that was a really big success. So yeah. we knew that we could do it. We knew that we had already made a lot of the mistakes that we would like to avoid if we got a do-over. And exactly. this was our do-over. This was our way to do it on our terms and also to own the process, not only to own the mistakes that we would make, but also to own the actual content at the end of the day, because that is so important for content creators to own exactly. your IP, to own what you are pouring your blood and sweat and tears into. Uh, and that was a huge draw for me. So confidence yeah. in, in having done it before, but also um, just the the draw of wanting to do it for myself was too big to ignore eventually. Yeah. And you said two things that stood out to me there. Um, a lot of us, you know, content creators, just regular listeners, we usually, especially with so the way social media is structured now, the way the TikTok algorithm now, we're seeing people like us and they have all this influence and we, we assume they're making all this money, right? Um, and so we, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves, like, damn, like, how am I going to be this person? How am I going to be that person? And I realized that a lot of the people that I really like now that are killing it, that I, that I try to learn from, they're all like 40 plus years old or like 30 and up. And I, I think I personally put so much pressure on myself, like, damn, I'm about to be 28 in a couple of years. Like I got to like get after it, but yeah, you just got to really find your lane. And as long as you at least think you're going the right way, you got to keep going. I think when we sometimes put ourselves to this age limit of success, it really does more harm than good. You know, I couldn't agree more. You are living nobody's story but your own. And that has been really useful advice as somebody who, and, and I have to be honest, part of this is because I got a really great job when I was 23 years old that put me kind of in a spotlight. Like I, I had a job that people were really envious of. Um, and while that job was hard and there were a lot of like, whatever, everybody's got problems, right? Yeah. I have put pressure on myself to say, well, if I could do this at 23, I'm about to be 27, then I'm going to be 30 and then I'm going to be old. And then nobody's going to want to listen to my podcast. Like that, that kind of thinking is not useful. It's not constructive. You can't change that. Time goes by. That's yeah. just the name of the game, but exactly. you can control how you interact with those passing days. If you're using every day to make yourself better in some way, to work a little harder, to do something you're proud of, that's yeah. fine. If it takes you 365 days to do that, if it takes you 10 years to do that, as long as you are trying, that's the only thing that you can control. Exactly. Exactly. You know, I think it's, it's a great message that I I'm, I'm talking about I'm, we're talking about, I still have to remind myself, which is one of the reasons that I do this podcast. But I want to talk more about thinking it's cool now that we kind of established your background a little bit. Um, I want to know, can you take us through what actually inspired it? And then what exactly is thinking it's cool, if you have to describe it? 
So I'll start with the second part of that question. Thinking is Cool is a podcast and newsletter that is designed to make your next conversation better than your last, um, which sounds rehearsed because it is. <laughs> the idea of making your next conversation better than your last is one that we came to, uh, we being myself and my co-founder, Josh, uh, that we talked about before, Josh Kaplan, we came to after a lot of years of being very online people. Uh, I have spent many years as somebody who occupies a lot of her time on Twitter and like I make a lot of internet friends. Um, and especially during the pandemic, that was really the only opportunity. If you wanted to have a life, you had to have a life online. That was the way that you connected with people outside of if in my case, like my parents I was staying with, you know, mm -hmm. um, and I really benefited from that. I found that I had a lot more time to think about big issues. Um, and I, I enjoyed it and I liked the pace that was a little bit slower. Uh, and it felt distinctly different from the kind of media consumption pace that most young people had been on historically in the pre pandemic years, which was breakneck essentially you were constantly inundated with tweet threads, with people who said, this is the best idea, with people who said, I'm right and you're wrong and here's why, but the here's why never really stacked up. <laughs> uh, and so with Thinking is Cool, we wanted to create something that um, felt like it was giving people the time and the space that they needed to just think, like disagree with people, disagree responsibly and politely, agree with me if you want that's okay. Whatever, whatever floats your boat. Um, mm -hmm. just take the time to think about the issues that are bigger than the day-to-day -day news cycle that can be really troublesome. Um, and that can be really, really like degrading in ways. Um, we are, are all kind of hamsters on the content wheel sometimes. And I wanted to create something that felt a little bit more thoughtful and, and in that thoughtfulness to be more thought provoking, to get people to think about the issues that seem important that we don't ever take the time to think about because why would we when we're constantly inundated with more and more and more media to consume, um, especially mm. in, in the news realm. You know, it's, it's not just scrolling TikTok. It's also like going on the New York Times homepage or going on Twitter. There's always a story breaking. There's always breaking news. Why don't we stop, recognize that that is part of an important, an important part of a media diet, but it's not the only important part. Um, and that's essentially the inspiration behind thinking is cool and, and why we wanted to do what we did. And with that, it has become this fun game of, uh, of curation of what I think these big issues are. Yeah. I recognize that I have a very unique, um, position in life. You know, like no one else has lived my life no one else is Kinsey Grant, 26 year old in New York city who's worked as a reporter. Right. So I, um, am, am trying to be really cognizant of that and also identify the issues that are big for everybody and not just big for me personally. Uh, and that's led me into a lot of like internet rabbit holes. I never saw myself in before. Um, but it's also meant that I, I get to learn a ton about a bunch of different industries and topics and, um, like cultural trends and entertainment trends and like zeitgeisty ideas, um, that I maybe hadn't been interested in before, which is an incredible privilege. Um, so we've talked about like the porn industry, climate change and political parties. Um, the episode I've been working on this week is, uh, should billionaires exist? Like big, big topics that, uh, typically would be kind of third rail issues for any other more traditional news media site, because mm -hmm. they're just so polarizing or so complicated. Um, so if I can take an issue and make it seem a little less complicated, make it seem a little bit more accessible for people, um, and, and make them think a little harder about it, recognize that there are viewpoints beyond their own, I call it a success. Uh, and hopefully we have fun doing it too. Gotcha. That was a great, uh, definitely not rehearsed uh, description. <laughs> that one was kind of off the cuff. I started, was, I started with my line, the whole yeah. conversations line, and I was like, yeah. hey, we'll see where this goes. <laughs> no, it's great. And I love what you're doing because 
I myself, I would consider being a natural skeptic. You know what I'm saying? I think mm-hmm. whenever something is hyped, I'm more curious. I'm like, okay, what's what's the con? You know what I'm saying? Even if something, if something is great, I still want to know what's the worst case because I think whenever you have at least everything, you have the confidence that you're making the right decision, right? So do you feel like in your daily life you've always had this skeptic mindset or did that kind of kind of come to you later in life? It definitely came to me a little later in life. Uh, and I don't oh, know no. if it's a, a function of just life experience or what, but yeah. I, in, in my most, like most of my day-to-day life, I would call myself a full, hopeless, romantic, incredibly gullible. Like I believe everyone. I see the best in everyone. I love to do that. I love that part of me. But as soon as I go into like journalism mode, it's the complete opposite, right? Like I'm like digging, digging, digging. I want to figure out what's next. I want to figure out who said this and why they said it. And can I get to them? Can I ask them this specifically? What else do I need to know? Like all of that, that, that skepticism, that cynicism almost (laughs) um, comes out at at certain times in my life, but I'm, I'm grateful that it's not all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that my, my optimism is also part of the show. Uh, You know, you can talk about things like essentially we're screwed, right? Like yeah. we're, we're going to die if we don't figure out climate change. How do I deliver that in a really optimistic way <laughs> that doesn't feel so threatening? Uh, exactly. And that's been part of the show's identity. One thing I wanted to get into is not that you started this, you've been making episodes that I think are dope. I want to acknowledge the the way you're actually creating it. Because I think from a podcasting, I'm always into, I'm like into the production of things, right? And it's a very like creative, narrative type of storytelling. So I'm kind of curious... Can you take us through your your process for making the episode and maybe like who's your team, who's working with you? Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. And and that's something that we wanted, you know, with the the genesis of this show, I wanted to do something that was um, accessible, but also felt like the, the story was there um, because when I was doing business casual, it was just an interview show. So when you are interviewing just one person, just one guest in an episode a lot of the success uh, or the quality of that episode is incumbent upon the guest saying smart things. So yeah. part of this is a little bit of a natural reaction of me <laughs> wanting to, to wrestle back a little more control over the content. Yeah. Um, so that is why I've, I've done this kind of uh, dual narrative, but also interview structure. It's, it's kind of written the way that I had had historically written stories for the web. You know, you do a bunch of interviews, mm-hmm. you pick out the quotes that you think are the most uh, representative of the broader conversation and you include those in a story. And so I decided like, why can't we just do that with a podcast? And it makes perfect sense. It's just like me reading a 15 page story that I had written in Google docs. Um, so that's why we did the format this way. Uh, but when it comes to, uh, the, the process itself, I would say, um, like frenetic is the word that comes to mind. <laughs> I, uh, have a, a, I don't know. I, I never have really nailed the idea of the perfect creative process, but, um, while every episode production does look a little different in terms of what I find the most inspiration from and, and also so like when I'm actually doing the writing, when I'm doing the interviews, it typically goes, have a big idea, want to talk about it with someone. Like if, if you have an idea that you feel like you want to call up your smartest friend and say, what do you think about this? That's the perfect topic. Like that's what I want to make episodes about. Um, so identify a topic that I think is really great. Put it on a list of potential topics for whatever the season I'm planning is. Uh, and then stress test it. Talk to people about it. Talk to Josh about it. Talk to friends about it. Talk to people I met on Twitter about it and see, do you have any ideas? Do you think this is something that is worth making people spend time listening to, right? Like mm-hmm. I know that those 35 minutes that people spend listening to a podcast are crucial and they are, are incredibly valuable. So I don't want to waste them. 
that is the number one part of the, the creative process. And I would say the hardest part of the creative process is just figuring out what to talk about. Once I do identify what that topic's going to be, I flesh it out a little bit more, um, come up with what I think will kind of be the big strings to pull on, the big levers to pull on um, in terms of the that specific topic itself. Um, and usually that's like three to four big subtopics that I'll identify. Uh, and I'll try typically to outline an episode before I do any interviews just to see where my mind naturally would go. And then once I do the interviews, go back and tweak that outline to reflect what I've learned from people who know this topic better than I do. Uh, and then I, after do I do all those interviews, I essentially put myself into like a, a dark room on the internet and like go really, really deep, read as much as I can, um, track down as much information as I can, make some more calls if I need to, uh, to make sure that I am armed with as much information as possible. And while I'm doing all this, I'm like copying and pasting pertinent information into a Google doc that I can then come back to when I go to sit down and write the script itself. Yeah. Uh, and then I, get to a point eventually where I'm like, all right, that now comes the really hard part, which is writing. Uh, and I, I write the script and sometimes it just flows out of me. So, like the one I wrote today took almost no time. Um, mm. sometimes it's a really painstaking process that takes like 10 plus hours, uh, and like the span of several days, but it always gets done. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I'll, I'll send the, uh, the episode once it's reported out and written to Josh, who is kind of like my, He's an editor in the loosest sense of the word. <laughs> um, Josh will like go in the Google Doc and write in the margins like, I want more, give me more, more passion, more Kinsey, well, you know, like yeah. big picture kind of creative um, direction that, that I get from Josh. And then I'll fact check it and record it. And uh, then we have an episode. That's crazy. And I wanted to, I wanted you to go through that because I wanted just to highlight the actual work because you're releasing two newsletters and an episode a week. You know, that, right. that's a lot of work. I, I'm, I'm doing bi-weekly right now. I'm like, God damn, I got to write another. It's a, like, lot. it's a lot. So that, it's that's, lot. it's crazy that you have that and you're cons consistently able to do it. But I think it's also smart that you're currently doing seasons because I feel like if you just had to do it every week. Oh my God. Yeah. It's, it's like been, that has been the best decision that we've made in doing the show because with business casual, we were so afraid that if we didn't post, uh, during a, any given week or didn't release an episode in any given week, um, number one, you know, we were, we were not our own ad people, right? Like yeah. we, we had people who had made promises, um, in terms of, of ads that we had to meet. Um, but also we were convinced that Spotify would like, I don't know, like penalize you if you didn't post it. Like that, like all of these theories that you hear in yeah. the podcasting world that make no sense, right? Like they're exactly. simply patently false. But um, having the seasons has been a real lifesaver because I know now, like I've written eight of the 10 episodes, I've got two more, and then I'll be able to take a break and like come up for air, creatively fulfill myself in like mm -hmm. whatever way feels right. Uh, and that is honestly getting me through these last couple of, of episodes because I'm frankly very tired. <laughs> I love that you take a break and yeah. uh, you mentioned ads while you guys were on business casual. I want to know how does thinking is cool. Make money uh, right now ads. Um, we are very much <laughs> bootstrapped. We have, have not even entertained the idea of getting money from people, but mm -hmm. um, we are, are lucky that we had some really great connections with uh, a lot of fantastic potential ad partners when we started this. 
Um, and I think that's also just like a testament to the way that that Josh uses the connections that he makes online to make lasting connections. You know, so many yeah. of us can follow someone and you DM and like, that's it. That's the end of the story. Um, but I would say one of Josh's superpowers is kind of the operational side of this business is that he he tends to relationships in a really meaningful way. Um, so we had a lot of great connections going into starting this business. Uh, and we were lucky that we found a partner in HM Bradley early on. Um, and they were willing to be like, sure, episode one's about porn. We're a, a like, banking <laughs> service. Yeah, you know what? It's fine. We trust you. Um, but that, that trust was really valuable, you know? Like, yeah. they, they believed in the vision. They believed in what I was doing. And they trusted me to be responsible with the words that I was putting out there. And that, that was great. So that has, has kind of, um, you know, influenced the way that we're going about booking partners for season two as well yeah. you know, to find people who are like, sure, whatever, whatever you want to do, do, we got your back. That mm -hmm. is incredible. So that is you. the ultimate, ultimate way of making money. For sure. And I think, uh, it's great that you highlight that because yes, I think a lot of people, especially podcasting monetization is a little bit weird because you kind of feel that you have to have this huge audience, right? And I mean, you guys do have an audience, which I want to talk about too, but um, were you, when you were kind of reaching out to get these ads or sponsors, what was your selling point? Like, what was like a, hey, you let me advertise your thing and I promise you'll get this many people or this many views, clicks. How did you guys go about that? Yeah, mostly engagement. Um, I had been writing kind of just for, honestly, for fun, like writing because I needed to to get my words out somehow after having written for so many years and then yeah. quitting my job and spending two months building this. I needed to write something. So I had just been writing a sub stack just for fun about random, truly, truly random things. Um, and the engagement was crazy, like like 60% open rate and like people responding by the, the like 50s and 100s every time I sent. Um, and I had a couple thousand people on it by the time we were getting ready to launch thinking is cool. So mm -hmm. that was a big part of it. I could say, I, I can't make you any promises about downloads for this specific podcast. I can try to future cast or Josh can try to future cast. You yeah. know, Josh can tell you what we expect in terms of growth, uh, for the first season, but mm -hmm. I can show you this. I can show you that people are incredibly engaged. I can show you that I have 25,000 followers on Twitter who are really eager for whatever my next project is. Yeah. Um, and to say that, you know, we're launching this because of you and with you was a big draw, I think, for for the partner, um, which, you know, is is lucky. We, we yeah. found the right people. It wouldn't be easy to sell everybody on um, engagement alone and on community passion alone. But luckily, we found a partner who was willing to buy into that. And speaking about community, I think you guys just passed 300 members in your in your Slack group. Um, so yes. congrats on that. And I want to uh, highlight that because I noticed you guys kind of did a little bit different when you guys were getting ready for thinking it's cool. It seemed like before you even released your first episode newsletter, you guys were trying to get to the people and build that community first. So was that an active yeah. mindset of like, community before we even deliver what this product is going to be, where you kind of already knowing that let's make sure we have a guaranteed list. Yeah, for sure. And I am a firm believer in, uh, the, the scope of the audience, especially in these, this first season, these first, um, you know, I could say a couple of episodes, but I, I honestly believe the first season, it's not so much about how many people we can reach. It's about how many people we can reach and actually reach them, mm -hmm. um, and, and create a, a relationship that doesn't feel so parasocial, a relationship where they feel like they can email me and I'm going to email them back. I'm not just like a name on a screen. Right. Yeah. That was really, really important to me. Um, and something that I believed very heavily in, uh, before we started this show. 
And my, my theory is that when you create a relationship that's really special with those early adopters, they're a lot more willing to share the show. And when it comes to mm. podcasting, discoverability is notoriously difficult to, to crack. It's really, really hard to find a good way to get discovered as a podcast. Right now, the biggest way of getting discovered in terms of the podcast alone is is word of mouth, is people sharing it. Yeah. Um, so you know you can you can hack social and you can go viral on TikTok, but the best way to get people to listen to a podcast is for somebody to send them that podcast. So mm -hmm. I felt really strongly about nailing those early relationships and also making sure that those people know how valuable those relationships are to me because it's it's not just you know like 300 people in a Slack. It's 300 people who actually have been pretty instrumental in helping me figure out this first season. When you're starting something new, it can be difficult um, to, to ask for help if you don't know where to start or you don't know where to start asking. Yeah. Um, and those people were kind of the initial you know, like test group to, to figure out if this show had legs. Mm. Uh, and they've been really, really honest and responsive. And that's been a fantastic advantage for the show itself. So um, I want them to feel as valuable as they really are to me. And that is is trying to make this community uh, robust and to help it grow and to have fun with it. Uh, and we will make that even more of a priority in the future. Lots of, of good ideas how to uh, make the community feel like a community instead yeah. of just a, a slack. I'm excited to that. I'm going to keep you to that. And, you know, yeah. you mentioned a lot of, you know, positive engagement. You know, you've got to get big following. People, you know, reply to your emails. I'm kind of curious on, like, you know, some of the negative aspects of kind of having influence and, you know, getting a following. Have you had any, like, okay, this isn't that great. Uh, this is weird. Like, any any weird cases? Yeah, I mean, I've got a couple trolls, but um, <laughs> I... <laughs> And I, 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 I'm not going to lie to you. Like sometimes I'll get a really nasty DM. A lot of times the trolls are on Instagram, which is weird to me, but, mm -hmm. um, sometimes I'll get a really nasty DM and I will feel like it could ruin my day. Like I, I get so upset about it because mm -hmm. I'm a sensitive person and like I have thick skin because of this job. I can let it roll off my back immediately. But for that millisecond before I let it roll off my back, I'm yeah. like, this is the end. <laughs> this person <laughs> hates me. Everybody else must also hate me. Yeah. And then my, my usual coping mechanism is I send it to Josh or I send it to my sister. And they are my two biggest, like, fiercest protectors, I would say, yeah. in terms of the trolls. And they'll either say, like, F this guy, blah, blah, blah. Or Josh will be like, let me send you this positive review that you didn't see from earlier today. Uh, um, and that that is really all it takes. Yeah. Um, so I think, like, you know, it, it's it's easy for me to sit here and say those people don't matter. And they don't. But it's also, you know, the reality of the situation is sometimes it sucks to see somebody write a comment about how your voice is so bad and you're ugly and you're stupid and you don't know what you're talking about. Um, that can, that can like tear you down a little bit. Yeah. So recognize that feeling and recognize what you can do to move past it would be my, my biggest piece of advice and find those, those coping mechanisms. Yeah, that's. That's crazy. Cause I think it's, it's funny. Cause when you start making stuff like early on, you have the benefit of that family and friends where it's kind of like, mm -hmm. Hey, you're doing great, sweetie. And then you make it to like a certain stage where you're talking about barstool sports. One of the most, I love to read comments by the way. So when I'm reading the Instagram comments and I always go to barstool sports or maybe they have like a post about something, those comments are not for the weak of heart. So no. <laughs> <laughs> when you made that episode, it kind of, which was Personally, I think I saw it more as a case study, not necessarily attacking Barstool Sports. Obviously, they were the example. How was your reaction to that? 
I thought it would be a lot worse, to be completely honest. And I think part of it is, you know, we're, we're that was episode two, so um, mm-hmm. was even earlier in the Thinking is Cool story. And we're still in the very much the early stages of this show. Like, there is a lot bigger audience out there for us that we'll reach eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, but most of that audience is, to your point, people who like me and, and followed me from somewhere, right? Yeah. Um, I didn't necessarily tap into the Barstool audience immediately. Uh, I did definitely get some negative comments. Uh, and... A lot of them had to do with um, suggestions that I was jealous that I didn't work at Barstool was the most common, the most common, like hateful comment that I got. Um, Like, you're not smart enough. You're not cool enough. You're just jealous. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was, that was typically the comment, but also like, I, I kind of invited it. (laughs) Like I, I I knew what I was going to get out of that. Um, And people have, have been better than I expected them to be. But um, there are certain things that you say on the internet you just have to know, like, okay, exactly. I'm, but, I'm speaking my truth, but that's also kind of stirring the pot, and you can do yeah. both at the same time. See, I would say, though, I think that's also an aspect that is almost needed if you want to be that unique person that stands out. Because, you know, somebody might say Trump is the biggest example of this, but there's something about people that say what they think and they kind of, you know, they they just kind of stand firm that I feel is attractive because it's kind of like, oh, okay, I can trust this person because they really believe that, Right. Um, but one thing I've I've noticed with how you kind of do the whole thing in the school for each episode is like, you don't necessarily say your opinion. I will know your opinion, but you kind of give the whole kind of roundabout, you know, a way of thinking about it. And I, and I heard you say in the podcast that one thing that you learned from morning brew is the third thought. And can you kind of explain to us what that is and how you've kind of implemented that into your own content? Yeah, I think that this this concept of the third thought is something that I actually learned originally when we did a comedy workshop at Morning Brew. Um, we had some stand-up comedians come in and try to help us get funnier because we were a bunch of like nerdy journalists. Um, and <laughs> any notable, it, it, any notable comedians? <laughs> no, it was like people people who had to do stand-up comedy workshops <laughs> because they yeah. Um, but they they had some really interesting interesting takeaways for all of us, and one of the biggest for me was this idea of the third thought, which originally in a comedy context is you know the first joke is the joke that everybody will make, the second joke is the joke that a lot of people would make and like most people will laugh at. The third joke though is where you really tap into creativity. That's something that not everybody could think of. That's something that's unique to the way that your brain operates. And when you put that out there, you're giving people something new. You're giving them something they haven't heard before. And that's really satisfying from an audience perspective. Um, so it, it is, is, you know, a prevalent idea in terms of the comedy world, but I think it's useful in, in any content creation situation. You know, I could, I could stand up and say like, I don't know, Republicans are bad, right? <laughs> or like, Democrats are bad. I could make any of these big, broad comments that anybody could make who has a platform. Um, and, and you know, maybe they'll make a little bit of a dent, but they're probably not going to solve any problems by just saying what everybody else is thinking. Exactly. Um, so I try to approach it from a way of like, what what experience have I had? What have I learned in reporting this that nobody else could bring to the table or, mm-hmm. or that maybe people haven't thought of or haven't thought of in a while? Or if I say this, what's the next thought that's going to come into somebody's head? And is that going to be an original thought um, that has, has really guided the content? 
And also just recognizing that I'm kind of occupying this weird space of being a a hybrid of kind of a a journalist, but also somebody who has an opinion. Like, I'm not shy about sharing my opinion on the show. I think anybody who's listened probably can pick up on that. Yeah. Um, But I want to approach it in a way that, you know, I've I've done my homework. Like, I've done my research. I've done the reporting. I figured all of this out. Here's how I'm interpreting this big topic or this big issue. Here's how I suggest we might solve this problem. Mm -hmm. Um, You might disagree with me, but here's the information that brought me to the point where I am today, which is hopefully a third thought. Got you. Now, I like that because I think uh, uh, a comedian of mine that I actually really like is uh, Andrew Schultz. And I think one thing that's interesting about his take on things is that he's always like trying to get to the joke in a way where you're like, oh, wait, what? I don't think, I don't think like that, but I get it. You know what I'm saying? And I, I love yeah. people that make me think in a way that I've never thought about. So uh, you're, you're doing great. Um, but Thank one you. thing I was going to say was you're doing all these dope things. It's really cool. You probably get tired of thinking sometimes. So how do you how do you maintain this consistency? What's the habits you try to input so that you don't get tired of thinking? Oh, yeah, that's a that's a good question. Um, I am a big believer in writing for fun uh, or, or whatever your medium of choice is. Do it for fun outside of what you do to pay your bills. In my case, that is just writing down random thoughts that I have. It's writing or like doing audio diaries I do all the time. Um, just things that are, are adjacent to what I do for fun or what I do for work, but doing them in a way that's fun, doing them in a way that there's no pressure where I can test new things. I can see if it works. I can go back and read it a week later and say, this is the worst thing I've ever written. And that's okay. Like it, it takes a lot of the pressure off. Um, so that's been really useful for me and also just taking the time to consume content too. I have always, um, you know, said since like my morning brew days that the best content creators are voracious content consumers. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you have to be a really good reader to be a really good writer. And I think we can use that lesson. That's kind of like an old adage in any part of the, the creator economy today. You have to know what people are doing and you have to find who's inspirational to you. You have to figure out what you like and also what you don't like. Uh, That's, that's equally as important. And I've, I found that that helps me to be a lot more creative. Um, and I, I typically don't listen to a ton of podcasts to be completely honest with you. I prefer to consume my content in, in more like analog kinds of ways. Um, but I, I (laughs) love trying to just like consume for fun, not consume for work. Um, and also just talking to smart people like that is the most inspirational thing that you can do. Gotcha. That's why you came on this podcast to to talk. Right. Exactly. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. Like I'm I'm feeling invigorated right now. You know, like this, (laughs) this is the kind of conversation that like gets your blood flowing yeah. and like makes you feel like you're thinking or somebody's disagreeing with you or mm-hmm. um, you just hear someone's perspective that you've never heard before yeah. that can make you feel a lot more creative. Um, so like send the DM, you know, like ask somebody if they want to have a 10 minute phone call, mm-hmm. what's the worst they're going to say is no. And exactly. then I'm like, okay, gotcha. no skin off your back. Gotcha. The same applies to, you know, online dating, you know what I'm saying? Just that's, that's True. the mentality Shoot you should do. Exactly. Shoot your shot 2021. <laughs> exactly. Um, and no, we're kind of wrapping up. So one thing that I always do with all my guests is I always ask for words of advice. And the reason for that is because if nobody was to listen to this because they don't really care who Kinsey Grant is, and there was just one clip that I had to cut out, right? What is advice you would give to somebody on how to create the life that you want to live? My advice to create the life that you want to live is to never be afraid to ask. Uh, I have spent a lot of years of my life afraid to ask for things, afraid to ask for advice, afraid to ask for people's time, afraid to ask for feedback because I don't want to be obtrusive. I don't want to butt into their life. And that is a horrible way to go about it. The, The least that you can do is ask. 
because mm-hmm. typically people are more willing than you recognize to offer advice, to offer their time, to offer feedback, to offer a connection than you might recognize. And often those connections, that advice, that feedback can be really instrumental, can be really life-changing. Uh, and that has, has really been a revolution in the way that I go about my daily life. All you have to do is ask what the, you've been told no before you'll be yeah. fine. Like it, you will, you will get up. You might be a little embarrassed, but you'll get up. You'll be fine. You'll go about your life and you'll ask someone else something else the next day. Exactly. And the, the cycle continues. That's amazing. No, I love that. And uh, before I let you go, I know that I think by the time this episode comes out, you'll probably have released episode nine. So what I wanted to do to kind of, you know, put my best foot forward is kind of help you brainstorm for season two. Amazing. So, so we're going to throw it back to your business casual days with our spin the wheel. I got the, I got the ad. I don't know if you can see <laughs> oh, it. So yeah, I love what, that. I, what I have now is a bunch of just random topics that I think would be interesting, but that's just me. And okay. what I need you to do, we're going to spin it three times. All right. Three times. And what I want you to do is I'm going to say what topic it lands on. And you can either say yay, as in it could be a potential topic, or nay, like you wouldn't even consider it. But okay. if you say yay, you have to give your quick take. Don't even think. I know you love to think and it's cool, but you can't think about it. <laughs> okay. 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 Ready? Okay, shoot from the hip. Come All on. right. Yes, I'm ready. First spin. Let's go. Ooh. Okay. It's, it's going. It's going. This is fun. First one is marriage. Yay or nay? Oh, absolutely yay. A million percent yay. Quick take, quick take. For sure, for sure. Quick take. Uh, The institution of marriage is rapidly dissolving in the United States. We no longer need to be married to live the lives that our parents did. And with that, we are opening an entire can of worms in terms of social structures, social hierarchies, and the expectations that our parents place on us. Woo! You were too ready for this. Did you read my notes? (laughs) I did not. But this is something that I have talked with my parents about ad nausea. (laughs) Okay. That was good. I like this. Okay. Let's do another one. I love that. That's a really good one. Okay. Oh, this is fun. Okay. Oof. Healthcare. Yeah or nay? Yay. Total yay. This was was one that I wanted to do for season one, but it didn't get done. So maybe it'll be a season two episode. Uh, How come healthcare is so effing confusing like we are the biggest economy in the world the most famous democracy in the world we have access to whatever information we want at our fingertips with the internet how come healthcare is still so broken how come it's still so confusing how come i somebody who has access to whomever i want whenever i want essentially can't figure out why it is the way it is um like why is it so broken in the united states and how do we fix it Ooh, you were too ready for that. We're about to do one more. You were too ready for that <laughs> one. Okay, let's do one more spin. We can do an optional one if you want to. Okay, one more spin. This is really, I'm going to start doing it myself. Okay. I know. Religion. Yay or nay? Yay. Total yay. Total okay. yay. This is, a, this is another institutions one. I am fascinated by mm-hmm. uh, like social institutions and the ways yeah. that we put trust in big abstract ideas. Uh, I think religion is a big one of those. I wrote a piece about this. Before, this was kind of one of my bridge pieces before we launched um, Thinking is Cool when I was essentially like off work. But uh, it was about the ways that we are, you know, church membership, synagogue membership, they're down uh, in a pretty historic fashion over yeah. recent years. Um, so trying to figure out where uh, we are instead placing our trust, if not in these social institutions like the church, where are we placing our trust? My theory is that it's in influencers and content creators. I mean, the act of following someone on the internet is inherently like has religious overtones, yeah. right? So yeah. um, I, I would love to dig into that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like yeah. my follow, my followers. My followers. <laughs> <laughs> like every, everybody's a messiah now. Um, exactly. Which I find really, really intriguing. 
Got you. All right. So I think was that was that was that three? Did we do three already? It was. Can Damn, we do one, one, more? one more? This okay, is fun. One more, one more. One more. Okay, one more. All right. One special, more for the road. Special spin. Okay. All right. I wish I had some music for this. Okay. <laughs> okay. It landed on marriage again. Let me spin it one more time. Okay. I saw some good ones. I might just choose a random one, honestly. Choose a random one. Choose one that you think you'll you'll throw me. Okay. What's the spiciest one? Spiciest one. Let's see. Okay. Transgender's rights. Yay or nay? Oh, yay. Like, okay. like absolutely Okay. Yay. All I right. I think that we, we do a lot of social posturing on the internet, especially as young people. Um, and I think that there is a lot of room to dig into what is behind that. Like, can we put our money where our mouths are when we talk about big social issues? Mm-hmm. And I think transgender rights is a prime example of that. Can we actually be accepting? Should you know we should be right? Like we know this, but can yeah. we actually do it in practice? Um, and also just to explain to people, like one of the big themes of thinking at school is to demystify confusing topics. I think for so many people who are not members of the LGBTQ plus community, they just don't realize how difficult it is to live your everyday life as a trans person. And I would love to be the voice that helps illuminate the smartest people, the most influential, the most respectable people in the trans yeah. community and give them a platform because they're, you know, I'm, I'm like a cis white woman. My life is so easy yeah it could be so much harder and i would love to um you know like hand the platform to people who could explain more about what makes their lives hard because everybody has a story to tell and if we can recognize the commonalities between our stories and other people's stories then made in the shade that was a good one and uh, i'm a black cis man for anybody that's first time listening just so you guys know um but no that was actually really great you were too ready for that i I was waiting for some nays you're like i don't know paul but no that was really great everything can be an episode (laughs) exactly so if you do use one of these episodes you do have to sign a waiver because i gave you the option so we're gonna get some equity share the ip (laughs) (laughs) but i thank you so much for coming on before i let you go promote just promote where can people find you what should people do how do we support you all that Sure. So the number one thing is just uh, download and subscribe to the podcast. It's called Thinking is Cool. You can get it any platform where you get your podcasts. We are available just about everywhere. Uh, if you want to follow me on social, I'm at Kinsey Grant on Twitter, at Kinsey R. Grant on Instagram. And I'm on TikTok. I don't know what my exact thing is, but you, I'm sure you could search me and it'll yeah. pop up. I'm trying to make some more TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. I'm just, just, just type in Kinsey Grant on TikTok. I'm yeah, sure we'll find I, you. It'll be somewhere. And yeah. also, if, if you want to share any episode ideas, any feedback, any anything, my email is Kinsey at thinkingiscool.com. Mm. And I would love to hear from you. Got you. That's great. And, you know, thank you all for listening. Thank you for Kinsey for being a pal. And just everybody remember to stay creative peace thank you guys for tuning in to that creative conversation i hope it was able to inspire you and if you'd like to continue getting inspired there's actually three main ways you guys can do that one you can actually watch all the youtube videos uh that's the full-length episodes and also clips just to get a little preview about what each episode might be about two you guys can actually listen on all podcasting platforms which is apple Podcasts and spotify or wherever you happen to listen to podcasts please feel free to leave a rating or review just help me out and also get the word of mouth out there. Three, you guys can actually subscribe to the Paul and Pals newsletter, which is basically a written summary of each episode in addition to my takeaway. So that I kind of give what the episode made me think about, what I got from it, link in the description and show notes. But without further ado, always remember to stay creative.